2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, my guy, Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area.
1: Kyle, what's happening? You watch any good football lately? No, what's football? (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, yeah, the the Niners Saints game was... The first time all year that I've audibly like sworn during a game just out of like said a bad word because I didn't know how else to react. Um, just there were there were so many plays in that game where it felt like, all right, that's the dagger. OK, that's the dagger. Oh, nope, there's the dagger. And then they're just it just kept happening and just stack this one on a string of wild-ass 49ers and Saints games.
2: Yeah, it was it was really something. Like that That is definitely the best game I've ever covered since joining the beat in uh, 2013. And uh, at least definitely the best regular season game. I think that the Seahawks-NFC title game was probably just the best one, considering it, it was a postseason game and, and what was at stake in that one. But this one... Was just completely bananas. Like, you, it, it's not often that like all the beat writers will be heading down to to the locker room afterwards, just looking at each other and saying like, "Shit, that was awesome." Like, and that that's what yeah. happened. It was just an incredible game. Uh, there there were so many interesting plays that happened. The atmosphere was absolutely bananas. J- Jimmy Garoppolo had the best game of, of his career. Drew Brees was was playing it at, at a super high level after. That Thanksgiving game where he didn't play all that well and and you could just tell like these two teams were super locked in particularly on the offensive side defensively obviously the game left a lot to be desired but I also think it was one of those games where I'm not going to take too much away from the defensive performances just because of the circumstances and the way the offenses were playing like I, I don't think the the appropriate reaction to the 49ers defense is to come out of that and be like all right the Niners defense is in trouble I think anytime you go play Drew Brees on the road, when there is that much at stake and and the game is that important, um, I, I think it, Drew Brees and, and the Saints and Sean Payton are just going to be really hard to defend, uh, yep. and and Michael Thomas too, obviously. So it was just an incredible game. Uh, it, it was insanely loud in there. Uh, it was, I mean, I, it it was one of those things where it's like, I don't. I, so much happened and there's so much to discuss. You're sort of at loss for words or where to start. Yeah, And I don't really know where to start. Like, where
1: would you want to start? I think you have to start with Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, the quarterback. That, that to me, was... I know there's a ton of other storylines and a ton of other things to take away from this game, but the only lingering question for the 49ers going into this game was, can they go on the road and win in a shootout? Can they have a game where their defense falters and... Jimmy Garoppolo has to throw it to keep a minute and they came out firing. He threw five times on the first series and then threw a six yard touchdown pass to Kendrick Bourne and never really let up. He didn't have the disastrous. Oh no throw. The interception he threw was a, was a fine ball that bounced off of Emmanuel Sanders hands. He didn't fumble. Uh, he was for the most part flawless in a game where he had to be flawless and one mistake swings that game the other direction, and Garoppolo didn't make it.
2: Yeah, and, and I think it was just massive for Garoppolo to have this game in the regular season, right? Because there's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would be a, a asking a lot of him, you know, if the Niners were to come out and lay an egg and not play well and get blown out by double digits or whatever, and Garoppolo didn't play well, then you'd have to go into the postseason really wondering about this 49ers offense and how well it could travel when it had to play one of the other of the league's best defenses on the road. But now I think you have a ton of confidence in the 49ers. And I think the 49ers have a ton of confidence in what they can do. And, and not that they didn't have confidence beforehand, but I think there's an entirely different level of confidence you have in your head as a player, when you actually do go in and have a game like that in a hostile environment against a really good team and Garoppolo completing 26 of 35 for 349 yards, four touchdown passes. Like you mentioned that one interception, he was just really locked in from the jump. And uh, and you saw it on that first drive. I think he completed all five of his passes, like you mentioned. And it it was the the rhythm of of the offense was was not an issue at all. Uh, the Saints went down and scored right away, and the 49ers fired right back. I mean, the Saints scored <laughs> the Saints scored touchdowns on their first four possessions, and then Josh Dubow of the Associated Press, friend of the podcast, tweets out. Uh, I need to go find the exact number. I think it was 44 and 0. Teams are forty-four, yeah, 44 and, 0 and when and they 0. score yep. touchdowns on their first four possessions. And the 49ers still won because the 49ers scored touchdowns on four of their first five possessions and somehow managed to go into halftime with the one point lead, despite allowing all those scores to the Saints. I think and you know, I I tweeted this during the game. As much as the Niners' defense was struggling, I do think one of the biggest plays of that first half was when Nick Bosa had the the tackle for loss on Taysom Hill on what they called a running play mm-hmm. on a third down. It was a big six yard loss, and I had a few. The Niners had a few of those plays defensively that that really hurt the Saints on swing passes or pitches outside yeah. where they're able to get big big losses on those plays, and and that was one of the first ones, and it set up the first punt of the game for the Saints, and it really sort of I think reinvigorated the 49ers and and allowed them to go on that run. They scored those two straight touchdowns after falling behind uh, 27 to 14. And then it really felt like the Niners, like going into halftime with the lead after all that happened in the first half was just like, all right, they're not messing around. And they really do have a legitimate chance to win this game because never, 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 ever would you think that any team going into new Orleans, allowing touchdowns to the saints on their first four possessions, you'd think you even have a shot like that is blowout city. That's, that's a buzzsaw type situation. And it was super impressive that the 49ers were able to go in and weather that storm, particularly because they've been relying so heavily on the defense. And we talked about it so much this year that the 49ers won basically all the first half of the season, they basically won all of their games with a strong running game. They didn't need a whole lot from Garoppolo. They were really playing to the defense. And like you said, like we hadn't seen the 49ers win a game like this. And they did it to the ultimate extreme. It wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. this wasn't a, a, a typical shootout. This was the best game of the season, and maybe the best game we see over the next five years. Like it was yeah. just an incredible performance from the 49ers offense. They averaged over 14 yards a play. <laughs> in the first half. And that a lot of that had to do with the 75-yard touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders. But just uh, Kyle Shanahan pulling out all the tricks, uh, Just you, you just learn so much about the 49ers and, and how well they're clicking right now offensively. And we've seen this the last couple years. The 49ers play really well in December. Even, even the last two years when they weren't good, mm-hmm. you know they had the five straight wins under with, with Garoppolo at quarterback after the trade. They played pretty well last year with Nick Mullins, and now this is a mostly healthy team that's in playoff contention and really hitting its stride. And now coming out of Sunday's game and the three-game stretch where they play the Packers, the Ravens, mm-hmm. and the Saints the last two games on the road to come out 2-1-1, in that stretch is really the best case scenario for the 49ers. Obviously you want to be 3 and 0, but expecting that expecting any NFL team to hit that stretch 3 and 0 is just about impossible. So you have to yep. be feeling really really good about where the 49ers are. And it was really a perfect Sunday for them because then you get a loss from the Seahawks at the Rams and now you're back in the number 1 seed in both the NFC and the NFC West.
1: Yeah, just to just to your point about the Niners playing better later in the year and specifically Garoppolo since November. So that includes that Seahawks game where he was not very good. He's completing 67.7% of his throws, uh, 14, uh, 1439 yards. That's in five games. So 287.8 a game, 12 touchdowns and four interceptions. That's a 108.3 rating. He's going at 8.6 yards per attempt. That's really good and he's throwing it 33 times a game in those 5 games. And the biggest Which thing, is not a lot. That's not a ton. N- no, but by it's By today's all, standards. No, but when you look at some of his totals earlier in the season it was 25, 21, 22. He right. wasn't he wasn't dropping back a ton. Right. But y- you said it. Just the the team in general going in to that environment and when it got to 20 to 17, it looked it looked pretty dire. And uh the the 49ers the way they've not not persevered, that's that's not the word I'm looking for, but just kind of the way they've overcome adversity and been able to take punches on the chin has been really impressive all year. And they took the ultimate punch on the chin from a really dominant team and a Super Bowl contender in the Saints in the Superdome, which is a legendary home field advantage for the Saints. Uh, and they, and they won without, without their defense's best effort. So, uh, just, just a ton of credit to, to Garoppolo and the 49ers for that. Um, it was not a game that I thought they were going to win when they fell behind 20 to 17. And, uh, here we are.
2: Yeah. So we do have some news as we record this on, on a Monday night, Kyle Shanahan at his Monday press conference this afternoon with reporters. I was not there because I was flying back actually to Sacramento this time. But um, the the news coming, the, the big news of the day is center west in Richburg is going to be out for the year after tearing his patella tendon in his right knee. Um, and that's obviously important because Richburg was having a really good season, a nice bounce back year after playing hurt throughout last year. It, you, you'll remember In his left leg, he he tore a tendon in in week four against the Chargers. That connected his quadricep to his knee, and he had to have surgery in the offseason. He still managed to start 15 games and play through it, but he obviously didn't play nearly as as well as he's capable of. So in the offseason, he had surgery. He couldn't bend his knee for like six weeks, and then he wasn't even cleared really to start practicing until just before the season opener, and he was playing really well. And, and he was definitely a reason why you saw the 49ers make steady improvements and pass protection. And also, in terms of run blocking, but Richburg was having a really good season, and Kyle Shanahan said that today. Uh, Richburg's very athletic guy and, and was doing a good job getting to the second level um, of, of the defense in a lot of those outside zone running plays. You saw him running downfield. Uh, on some of the longer plays, making blocks, things like that. So losing him is going to be tough, and the 49ers are going to rely on Ben Garland. I do wonder, and Ben Garland's played with Kyle Shanahan before, but I do wonder, and we can talk about this a little bit later in the week, but if the 49ers would consider moving Mike Person back to center, because last year he was a backup center. Uh, He's played a lot more center in his career than Ben Garland has, I believe and it would allow you to maybe play Daniel Brunskill at right guard and Brunskill's obviously gotten a lot of time playing time at right tackle this year so maybe that's your your best five com- or your be- your combination of the best five guys I should say um, and you know we'll have to see it's not something i would expect Kyle Shanahan to an adjustment he would make on the fly to adjust two offensive line positions in a game but maybe with some practice time maybe maybe that's something the 49ers consider also Important news, Richard Sherman could be out a couple weeks with a hamstring strain. So that'll be worth keeping an eye on. I'd imagine the 49ers are circling that week 17 game against the Seahawks for his return. Um, but they are in a point now, even though seeding is really important and, and winning the division and getting a first-round bye is important, being healthy for the playoffs, I think, is probably more important. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the 49ers be super cautious with him and also D. Ford, who has a hamstring injury and Kyle Shanahan said it's going to be about three weeks so it might be that we don't see Ford until the postseason so in terms of guys who might benefit the most from getting a first round bye, I think Ford would have to be up there because he's dealt with that knee issue throughout the entire season too and and you know he said I asked him in Florida this week you know what's what how is the knee feeling is did did the time off the two weeks he took off before the Saints game because of a hamstring injury that he aggravated in New Orleans. It did that help his knee at all? And he said the the knee is what it is, which indicates like it sounds like Ford is probably going to need surgery after the season to repair that. So the knee's not going to be good until he can get it repaired. Um so we'll have to see exactly how that's going to go. But for now the 49ers are going to have to win these next couple weeks without their top cornerback and, and one of their top pass rushers, even though Ford hasn't played a whole lot. He's played in only f- over 50% of the snaps one time this season. So um, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how the defense adjusts, but if if there has been a, a theme for the 49ers this year, it's that they've been a- able to handle injuries pretty well. So uh, going against Atlanta, obviously not the stiffest test. They do have Julio Jones, so Akela Witherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley will, will certainly be tested, um, but... Not having Sherman against the Rams the following week could be problematic, and then obviously the Seahawks. Uh, that's gonna that could potentially be a huge game unless the Seahawks drop another one uh, between now and then.
1: It felt like the Niners were getting healthier at the right time. You, they were yeah. getting use check back and McGlinchey back and Staley back, and they got Sherman back into the fold and and or, or not not Sherman. Uh, they got Brita back into the fold, yep. and now Sherman's hurt and D Ford's hurt again, and, and and Weston Richburg goes out. And all of a sudden, g- going into a three-game stretch where if the Niners win out, they get the number one seed in a first-round by, it looks like their health is now going in the wrong direction, which is just kind of a testament to how quickly things can change. But the Niners all year have overcome these kind of injuries. They've overcome injuries on the offensive line and in the secondary and on the defensive line, and and they're going to have to do it again and there's no reason to believe going in that they won't be able to but you would like if you're the 49ers to go into the postseason where that isn't a problem
2: yeah and I, I do want I, we, we do need to talk maybe about Tart. Tart. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said that his rib fracture they're still waiting to see if he can practice this week so obviously his status is going to be up in the air this week and and his his absence loomed pretty large in in the Saints game, particularly early on. The Saints scored their first three touchdowns all to tight ends, the first two to Jared Cook. Uh, And Marcel Harris is, you know, not as good as Joukowsky Tart. And and Harris is better as a run defender, but not nearly as adept in in pass coverage. And Tart is somebody the 49ers really like because he is a much more versatile safety than Harris. And he could actually be a free safety if you needed him to. And Harris doesn't really have those kind of capabilities and, and the saints found something uh, in the 49ers secondary. I don't know if it was targeting Harris spe- specifically because I do think the 49ers linebackers didn't have particularly strong games either in, in coverage. And and so the saints being able to attack the 49ers with their tight ends is definitely notable and something the 49ers are going to have to tinker with whether or not Tart plays Sunday against the Falcons. Um, but, it's it's a pretty big injury, and, and we'll have to see how that all shakes out. But let, let's go through the game really quick. I, I, I So many things happen that I just <laughs> I don't want to gloss over anything and, and miss it. So you get the first touchdown to Jared Cook, um, and then the 49ers respond quickly with the six-play 75-yard drive going back with Can the I- first of Kendrick Bourne's two touchdown passes, and then the Saints score with Jared Can Cook it- again. And this was actually brought up to me by my editor. Um that the Akella Witherspoon hit on Jared Cook that was a personal foul that led to Jared Cook getting a concussion, which the Saints tried to take advantage of that penalty from the one-yard line by going for two, and it failed, which proved to be a really important play in the game. Obviously, the Saints lost by two points, but it just sort of put the Saints behind a little bit uh in in such a shootout like that you don't really want to be chasing points and i do understand the aggression that early on what i didn't love from them from sean payton right there was the play call i don't know if i'm running outside on this 49ers defense i think if there's a strength of this defense it's their ability to defend the outside run and they've been really good near the goal line particularly and fred warner that was probably his best play of the game tackling his old college teammate Taysom hill Uh, for a loss on that on that two-point conversion and then from there you knew with the 49ers offense playing like it like it did uh, you knew that that was going to be a pivotal point in that game and then so the Saints go on go ahead and get a uh, another touchdown to make it 20 to 7 then Jimmy Garoppolo uncorks one the longest throw we've seen him make in a game 75 yards to Emmanuel Sanders Saints drive back again with a 12-play 84-yard drive resulting in a Drew Brees sneak on fourth down. It's is a play that everybody in the world saw coming, but it's still very difficult to stop when you only have about six inches to go. Then you get Kyle Shanahan going into his bag and getting Emmanuel Sanders to throw a pass to Raheem Mostert. and We actually saw that during practice in Florida, and, and one thing we cannot do is report plays that we see on the practice field per per team rules. And so it was not surprising to see that play come out. What was surprising was the next drive, when Kyle Shanahan digs in again to his bag and goes with a read option on a run from to fullback Kyle Usechek that that would, led to a big gain from from Raheem Mostert to get the 49ers in range. I think that was a third and one play or third and short, if memory serves. And uh, and and it just sort of spoke to like the importance that Shanahan put on this game. What Kyle Shanahan and every football coach does this, but though, Oh, it's one week at a time. We're, we're not treating this like it's, it's any more important than uh, any other game. But the reality was Kyle Shanahan knew the importance of winning this game, not only for, you know, playoff standings in the, in the NFC, uh, you know, trying to get, get the tiebreaker over the saints. Uh, it, I think just for more morale, like going in, winning that game, what that does for a club's confidence Shanahan digging into his playbook and getting really creative with this was just so much fun to watch and, uh, and it proved massive and I think it sort of loosened things up for the rest of the game because when you're a defense and you see so many different things happening before the snap and, you know, guys running in motion, faking jet sweeps or doing those orbit motions, or, you know, now you have to consider that a receiver is going to throw a pass or a fullback is going to run as a read option. It's just a lot to think about. And now The 49ers are putting even more stuff on tape that teams have to consider going forward. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a bunch of new wrinkles that the 49ers have in the postseason.
1: Yep. (laughs) That's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about the biggest
2: play of the game, though, which we, we haven't even said George Kittle's name yet. Um I don't know, man. Like I was, I was very much ready to hit publish on my grade story and with the 49ers losing after giving up the, the go ahead, touchdown inside the final minute. I did too. Uh, really a rough drive from the defense because you know, rich Richard Sherman exits, they go right to his side of the field with the, a, a long pass to Ted Ginn. There was a pass interference penalty on Emmanuel Mosley. That was super questionable because it looked like the pass wasn't, uh, wasn't catchable. But uh so that happened. And that was to, on a third down. Yeah, that was on a third down. And then uh you have Akella Witherspoon drop an interception, which makes you think, okay, the 49 we're gonna we're gonna come out of this game with the Saints winning, doing Saints things in the Superdome, coming back to win in the fourth quarter, and we're gonna be in- talking about this. Akella Witherspoon dropped interception and what it did to to cost the 49ers home field in the playoffs or whatever. And uh and then the Saints go score and in, in, I mean, in, what was your level of confidence right there? In Witherspoon's
1: in, in Witherspoon's defense, it wasn't like he saw it coming. Michael Thomas, the receiver, fell down and then the ball just kind of hit him in the hands. Yeah. Like it's a ball he probably should have caught, but it's hard to like blame him for it. Right. Um I'm with you though, all the way. That had all the makings of just like, of course, this is what happens in the superdome. Right. Like why why would this not happen? The, the Niners didn't shut Michael Thomas down, but all game they hadn't heard you hadn't heard really a big play from him, and then in the biggest moment of the game, uh, Breeze finds him. It, it would just it just had all the makings of one of those losses where um we talk about it afterwards and it's like, well, silver lining, they hung in there, and you know, if this play goes this way or that way, they come out with a win. And under reported thing, is how stressful it is as a person writing about the game in a scenario like that because <laughs> <laughs> because i had i i was the same as you after the touchdown figured 53 seconds that pass rush is going to pin their ears back it's going to be really tough to get down the field um i had everything ready with the 46 45 heartbreaking loss da-da-da-da-da. and then the kittle play happens and it's like Oh, man, <laughs> I'm going to go change everything now. But then you have Robbie Gold, who's been kind of unreliable this year. You're not sure if he's going to drill the field goal or not. So, man, that's a thing nobody talks about. And we need to talk more about how hard our lives are. And the the <laughs> kick could have been blocked. It was close. There were
2: there were two dudes that like got past the blockers and, and could have blocked it. I saw the replay of it, and the snap wasn't particularly good either. No, it was high. Um, yeah, it was a little bit high, but but we got to talk about the Kittle play. We do. Because, um, no matter what happens this season, like if the 49ers win the Super Bowl, the play we think about during the regular season that really catapulted things is going to be that Kittle play. Um, and if, if George Kittle is, you know, a hall of famer at any point, like that is going to be the play that's on the highlight reel. It was just an all time moment uh in the 49ers regular season it's probably the best regular season or the most memorable regular season play of the Kyle Shanahan era and it might not even be that close at this point I promise recency bias aside just like Kittle and it's very like no one's really surprised like we we see Kittle do this almost on a weekly basis but in that moment where the 49ers need to get down the field obviously time is at a premium you think all right well maybe he'll just he'll just step out of bounds take this big gain uh the 49ers are in field goal range or close to field goal range and they still have time but no Kittle's like I'm gonna keep going and it's gonna take the world's most egregious face mask penalty for you to allow your teammates to come over and tackle me because like without that face mask after watching it Kittle might have just blown right through him and scored
1: that's 100% like, what was going to happen.
2: Like, the face mask ultimately was a good play because it allowed Marcus Williams' teammates to to hop on Kittle. And, you know, it took three guys to tackle him. Like, just an incredible play and an incredible moment for, for the 49ers and George Kittle. And it just—that is who Kittle is and, and what he is for this team. And it's probably why he's going to be, you know— I don't know if he's gonna be as popular as Frank Gore, but like shit, if if the Niners win a Super Bowl or multiple Super Bowls and Kittle remains this type of player, Kittle might ultimately end up being more popular than Frank Gore, which I know is like sacrilegious that's, to say, and it's not like a yeah, that's not a knock on Frank, but like Frank never won a Super Bowl. With what Kittle represents for this offense and how much different the team looks with the way he plays. Like that's just an all-time moment right there and uh and if the 49ers go on to win a title we're going to be t- we're going to be looking back at that play and saying, "Yeah, that was that was that was like the the bomb that went off that got everyone aware of how good this 49ers team can be because a lot of people didn't think the 49ers were capable of that type of win despite having the best record in the NFC throughout, you know, basically the entire season.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. They, they go as George Kittle goes, and it's not a coincidence that they struggled a little bit with him out. And I think they're still a good team if, if Kittle's not in there, but it starts to make you think about, A, what he would be if he was 100%, because he's not right now. Right. And B... How different is that Seahawks game at Levi Stadium, which now looms very large as the season winds down here, how different does that game go if Kittle's in? And he's just that type of player, and what Kyle Shanahan said about when your best player has that mindset, it changes everything. There's not a better encapsulation of what George Kittle means to the 49ers than that exact play.
2: Well said. Uh, With that, let's take a quick break. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day of work. Sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for AD All from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to getroman.com slash blue wire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash blue wire for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash blue wire. All right, let's go through winners
1: and losers. Um, Can I, hey, can I real quick call an audible? Yeah. There were three sneaky big plays that I want to talk about. Okay. That we didn't get to. I'm into it. Great. The first one, early third quarter, the DJ Jones forced fumble on Alvin Kamara. First fumble Kamara had lost all year. He ran up the middle. Jones sticks his hand in. Ball comes out. DeForest Buckner recovers. The Niners score two plays later. George Kittle's touchdown. Yeah, George Kittle's touchdown. Then there was the 15-yarder to use check. The exact same play uh, right before that. Mm -hmm. Early fourth quarter, the 49ers have a third and six at the Saints, 43. Kendrick Bourne catches a pass just short of the sticks, makes a nice spin move, dives for the first down marker, gets it. Niners drive continues. Jimmy Garoppolo eventually hits Kendrick Bourne for Bourne's second touchdown of the game. That made it a nine-point game, 42-33, 49ers. Uh, and that Kittle touchdown gave them uh, a 35-30 lead. Uh, the other one was a Garoppolo scramble on third and two with 437 left. Um, third and two, Niners have the ball at their own 33. Garoppolo, nowhere to go, scrambles outright, just gets the two yards, sticks the ball out, gets the two yards. Niners go down and kick a field goal. That made it 45-40. to um, and then eventually the saints had score again and Robbie gold kicked the game winner. You know how that goes, but I think those were three plays. That I don't want to say got overshadowed, but it's easy to, for them to get lost in the shuffle with all the hullabaloo there at the end. So I just wanted to highlight those before we move on to winners and losers.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, there, I mean, there were so many things that happened. in that there were game. so
1: many things that happened. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it, was, it was really remarkable. The Niners were six of 12 on third down which is anytime you're around 50% or better, that's outstanding. Um, they had 516 yards, which was only the second most this season. And the last time they had, they had that many uh, was week two against Cincinnati. I think they had 571, which also came after that they practiced away from uh, from Santa Clara. And obviously the 49ers were in Florida last week. So, yeah, I mean, it was – It was just a crazy game it was it was so much fun it was one of those things where it's like all right this is this it almost felt like covering losing seasons and and a bunch of like games that no one cared about that were not interesting at all like it was one of those situations where like all right it was all worth it because that was just an incredible incredible game to be at and as a football person that's that's why you get into this business but anyway uh let's go to winners and losers we want to start with the quarterback jimmy garoppolo uh, let's go back through it. Twenty six of thirty five. That's seventy four point three percent. Three hundred and forty nine yards. So almost ten yards per attempt. That's good. Uh, he was sacked three times. Four touchdown passes. He has. He had the interception. Could have been a better ball. It wasn't. It wasn't a horrible pass. Probably a little bit too much velo on it. Maybe it could have been a little. Uh, it, it led Emmanuel Sanders too much. It should have San- been caught. It should have been caught. Sanders will tell you that he probably should have caught it. Um, but it wasn't one of those plays where Jimmy Garoppolo just threw it right to a defender like he has kind of a, a habit of, of doing. And it also broke Garoppolo's longest interception list streak of the year. He, had, he hadn't he thrown a pick in, the, in his previous two games, which he hadn't done all season. Um, so anyway, really strong performance. I mean, really just you come out of it being like, all right, Garoppolo... I don't want to say he out Drew Brees, but he played good enough to allow the 49ers to beat Drew Brees when you got an all-time Drew Brees performance.
1: I think four weeks ago, if you said the Saints are going to do and then you just read the Saints' box score, I think you would have thought there was no chance the 49ers were even close to in the game because it would have required Garoppolo to do what he did. And I'm not sure many people thought he could do that. And then he went and did it and that's i mean it's it's you. like i've talked about this before i work in sports talk radio one of my jobs is to answer the phones and so i hear every take (laughs) all of them and surprisingly there are some not so good ones and a lot of people no matter what happened in a 49er game they would call in, and it was a lot of the same people calling in and saying, I just don't know about Garoppolo, I just don't know about Garoppolo. What happens when that defense can't carry him? What happens when the run game can't carry him? And we saw it yesterday. Yep. I mean, there's there's no more to me, there's no more games there's no more style of game that I don't think the 49ers can win. Right. There's yeah. there's no team I don't think they can beat. And that's partly because of of the elevated play of Garoppolo over the last two months.
2: I think, and I, I've said this before too, but I think so much of how people evaluate quarterbacks is whether or not they've won a Super Bowl. Yes, or like an MVP or something. It's like, oh well, I don't know. You know, I'd much rather have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger. It's like, yeah, those guys have all won Super Bowls. You know that they can do it. It's not It, it doesn't take like a whole lot of uh, really incredible sports knowledge to be like, yeah, the, I, I feel confident in the in the quarterback that won a Super Bowl because he's already won it. But at <laughs> At one point in all of those quarterbacks' careers, they had never won a Super Bowl. Right before they won, they didn't win. So, like, <laughs> you have to. There are going to be other quarterbacks that end up winning Super Bowls where you know people aren't going to be like. Anyway, I don't want to keep talking about this, but um, yeah, that, Jimmy Garoppolo's winner. That's he's, the new.
1: That's the new take, by the way. Can he do it in January, man? I don't know. He's never <laughs> played December. in December. <laughs>
2: um.
1: So real quick,
2: I, I found I was uh, looking at Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers on the year relative to to the rest of the league. So completion percentage, sixty nine point five. That's nice. fifth best in the league. Twenty five touchdown passes. That's fourth best. Touchdown percentage, six point four percent. That's also fourth best. Interceptions. The his eleven interceptions are the sixth most, tied for the sixth most. Interception rate: two point eight percent of his passes are intercepted. That's tenth worst. Uh, yards per attempt 8.3 fourth best in the league yards per game is 249.6 at 16th not that great because his 30 point two attempts per game is 17th uh passer rating 103.9 real quick can you guess the quarterbacks actually i should say his passer rating 103.9 is 8th so can you guess the quarterbacks who are uh, seventh and ninth in in passer rating in the league right
1: now seventh and oh man i thought you were going to tell me the name of the seven ahead of him no. uh let's see seventh i'm going to go with let me guess this is one of my favorite things to do okay um seventh is hang on wait for it patrick mahomes <laughs> you're right did you look that up no Okay, it was it's
2: Patrick Mahomes. He's one three. Excellent. So just just a sliver ahead of Garoppolo. Okay. Um, do you know who's ninth?
1: Um
2: Deshaun Watson. Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Watson's tenth. Mm. Point being, and come I know on, people p- come people,
1: on, Hey, clap for me. That was awesome. No, that Thank was you. good.
2: That was that was really <laughs> strong. Um point being that I mean, I know not everyone loves quarterback grading and yeah, it can be kind of flawed, but it's a bit of a flawed stat. It is a bit of a flawed stat. Point being, aside from the interceptions, which obviously are impacting quarterback rating, you have to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo as a top 10 quarterback in the league right now Mm -hmm. with some other guys who are Super Bowl winners. Um, So I, uh, I I think that's what the conversation is about Garoppolo. Like, yeah, you don't know if he can do it in January because he's never done it in January, but you have to feel confident about him going into January as you would with any other quarterback in the league right now and that's obviously largely a part of what the 49ers are doing offensively as a whole but he just went in and and beat drew Brees. and you know i think if the 49ers had gotten good weather in baltimore i think that would have been a much different looking game than that one that ended up happening yep not to say that i i would have expected the 49ers to go in and win that game but i think they would have gotten a better performance offensively um so yeah jimmy garoppolo is a winner big winner. I think the conversation surrounding him is going to change a lot. Uh, and let's get to our first loser. You want to you you want to take this yeah. one?
1: Yeah. Yeah, the big loser of the game for me was Tevin Coleman, who at one point looked like he was going to be the lead back for the 49ers. He played just 11 snaps yesterday. He had 3 carries for 6 yards and his longest carry of the game was 6 yards. <laughs> Uh, since going off, he went for uh, for 105 against the Panthers in Week Seven. He went off. He had four touchdowns. You remember that game? Yep. Since then, he has 52 carries for 128 yards. That's not great. It's nope. two and a half yards per attempt. Tevin Coleman is seems to be uh, slowly getting phased out of the offense, and that was really on display Sunday.
2: And I think a lot of that also has to do with Raheem Mostert sort of coming mm. on here. Yep. And it started, let's go back, just pulling up the numbers. Raheem Mostert's last three games, uh, 35 carries, two hundred and sixty-eight yard, 260 yards. That's seven, over 7.4 yards per attempt. That's good. Uh, three touchdowns, and he has five catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. So uh, four touchdowns in the last three games for Raheem Mostert. He had his first multiple touchdown performance of his career in new Orleans I don't think he's the most versatile runner like you you see him have success on a lot of the same kind of runs but he's turning into a pretty valuable weapon for the 49ers and and one thing too just watching the offense play now particularly with Mostert on the field and you can also say this about Matt Burita, man the 49ers have a ton of speed on they're offense They're very fast they're very fast Manuel Sanders is fast Debo Samuels very fast Breida, Moster, George Kittle is one of the fastest tight ends in the league. There's just a lot of team speed and and obviously Kyle Uschek is probably the fastest fullback in the league. I mean, they the 49ers are hard to defend and they stretch you horizontally and and I think with what the 49ers are doing right now with Moster it speaks to that. And I also, you know, I also think that that's a reason why Tevin Coleman isn't all that effective because I mean, he might not be playing well, but it's there. There also haven't been many opportunities lately because the 49ers are riding the hand with Mostert,
1: and that's why Raheem Mostert is a winner from yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but to, they, they no, those two go hand in hand though because I, I mean, you're right. If Mostert isn't as effective as he is, I, I think Tevin Coleman definitely sees more snaps. But uh, there were there were opportunities for him in that game, and he just he he was unable to take advantage of it and three carries for six yards. is just kind of a, a low point. Like I said, for a guy who looked like he was going to be the team's leading rusher.
2: Yeah. So let's go to the next winner. Uh, we don't need to do most because we already, we, we sort of yeah. explained the the, yeah. the reasoning there. Uh, George Kittle winner, big time all time play. Uh, he did score a touchdown in the game. He hasn't been as ridiculous statistically as he was last year but um i think there's a case to be made that kittle has been better and maybe it's in more of a complementary role more as like a a foundational piece of what the offense does not only i mean he is a very productive pass catcher but with what he does in the running game which sets up so much of what they do he's also a valuable player in pass protection which probably isn't the most ideal use of him but I do think, like, if Kittle, say you have Kittle against the Seahawks, Jadavion Clowney probably doesn't have quite the same game because Kittle mm-hmm. could help out in pass protection against Clowney. Right. Um, and maybe, you know, whether it's chipping him or maybe it's just keeping him in pass pro uh, in, in other situations, I think that does make a big difference. So, I mean, obviously, Kittle making the play of the game, you, you just can't. You can't overstate the importance of what that play meant, not only just for the result of the game, because obviously it accounted for, what, 40, uh, 54 yards or whatever with the uh, with, with with the catch and run and then the penalty at the end of it because they simply couldn't get him down. Mm-hmm. Like, I th- how, how amazing would it have been? Because we were really close to seeing it if Kittle had just scored there. Like, if it, Kittle it just dragged the dude, <laughs> pushed him off of him, to the ground and just scored a touchdown.
1: Like we're already seeing that replay everywhere. Al Michaels on the Sunday night game last night, called it the play of the year. And, and even Collinsworth was like, man, you can't stop talking about that. Huh? (laughs) It's, it was, it was a remarkable play. If he goes down and scores there, I think we not only see continual replays of it. It's number one on top plays. It gets nominated for an SB or whatever. Um, I also think we get the talking hedge sports talk show graphic that's like, George Kittle, best TE ever? I, I think that's <laughs> the narrative today. And that's not shade at Kittle. He just hasn't done enough yet to get there, and maybe he does. Um, that- that's not the discussion. But it would have been the discussion had he scored a touchdown there.
2: Yeah. George Kittle, big winner from the week. Uh, loser, Marcel Harris, like we mentioned. Oops. Didn't have a great game. No one on the 49ers defense really did. Um, I don't know that Harris is necessarily a liability going forward. I just don't know. Like, if if there's a chink in the armor in the 49ers pass defense, if Jaquasi Tart's not in there, I would expect teams to target Harris and try isolating him and, and figuring ways to get their top targets in wherever his area is on the field. Because he can be over aggressive, he bid on play action, yep. uh, allowing that touchdown to Hill. I, th- I think it was the third touchdown of the game for New Orleans. There, um, you you want you want your starters in. <laughs> this is <laughs> this isn't great analysis. Wow. You want your starters to play more than your your second year players who were drafted in the sixth round, largely because they were you know good special teams players in college who might be able to develop into something. You you don't draft Marcel Harris to be your starting strong safety. Um and that's not a knock, it's just the reality of it. So you know, you want Jaquasi Tart to be healthy because Tart is clearly a better player. And uh and so yeah, Harris not a great performance and the forty ers will have to, to tinker with things and get improvement out of that part of the defense if if, Tart, if Harris is going to be out there while Tart deals with this rib fracture.
1: It's it started with the missed tackle on the on the Jared Cook touchdown where if Marcel Harris wraps him up, it doesn't go for a touchdown. The Saint's probably still score there. like I'm not saying the touchdown was Harris's fault, but he went in for a hit and just kind of bounced off of, of Cook and then just snowballed. I think he missed a missed a tackle on a, on a big run on the next series. And, and like you said, it just seemed like he was half a step late to everything. Because he was half a second late diagnosing what the Saints were doing offensively, and and that's going to happen for a guy who hasn't played a lot against uh, one of the best three offenses in the league. So, uh, it, like, I'm I'm with you. I don't think he's a liability going forward, but he definitely didn't didn't earn a W uh, for Sunday.
2: I'm going back through it. I think this was the Niners' second game of the year on fake turf. Yeah, all of their other games have been on grass. So, And the reason why I bring that up is because you play in Baltimore in a rainy surface. Obviously, that's going to slow the track down a little bit, but you're also playing in longer spikes, which you can't run as fast in. And I do wonder if there was some sort of adjustment that, you know, when you can cut so much faster, it's just a faster game uh, when there are no elements at play and, and you're playing on a fast track inside in a dome. And it's also probably not surprising that the 49ers other huge offensive performance, that week two game in Cincinnati was the only other time they played on turf when they had five hundred and seventy-one yards. Yeah. So um we'll see. I mean if, if the Niners get home field, they probably won't have to deal with that. And that that's one of the aspects of the game that's so important. You'd much rather play the Saints on your home field than you than you would in the Superdome, and, and maybe that's a reason why. And maybe that's something that Marcel Harris and, and everyone else on defense sort of struggled to to adjust to yeah. as that game went on. Um where are we at? Winner Kyle Shanahan?
1: Yeah, he Shanahan was terrific yesterday. Just you you mentioned it earlier in the pod, but he went so far into his playbook or into his bag, as the youths say. Uh the the forty Nineers just did everything that that they wanted on offense, and they executed it well. Credit to the players always, but Shanahan didn't miss a lot yesterday. He had a, he had a couple of mistakes here and there. Um, the the sack of Garoppolo on the second to last drive, where they went play action, and and the Saints just kind of brought like eight on a blitz, and and Garoppolo got sacked. You know that that wasn't awesome, but it's it's forgivable for sure. Um, I, I just thought he did everything right yesterday. And I think the team kind of took on his demeanor down the stretch. And when you have a head coach, that's going to stay even keeled and stay aggressive and put the game into his players' hands, into his best players' hands. I think that uh, that spills over onto the field. And I think you saw it in those final 53 seconds.
2: Yeah. And also I, I wanted to look up the first half stats earlier because they were so ridiculous. I mentioned it being a buzzsaw game. Like, We've seen these last few years as the 49ers have been bad. And even when they were good, like they they had some of these buzzsaw type losses. I think a few of the games in Seattle come to mind where it's just they can't really do anything in a tough road environment. And it's not always an indictment of the team as a whole. It's just really tough to win with the same scoring those first four touchdowns. And I know we already mentioned it, but like Jimmy Garoppolo in the first half, 11 of 12, 206 yards two touchdowns in that perfect 158.3 rating him being locked in from the beginning was so important because if the 49ers don't respond to the Saints opening touchdown drive where they marched right down the field then we might be talking about an entirely different outcome right like if the 49ers don't immediately respond with a touchdown and then the saints go score again and it's 14 nothing and you're paying playing catch up from that point it might actually turn into a blowout because then you lose so much of what you do from your game plan perspective like because you're playing so from so far behind and you're trying to speed things up the because garoppolo was so locked in it just allowed the 49ers to maintain their rhythm. They never felt like they were out of control. Yeah, they had a couple pre-snap penalties because of the noise, but like Garoppolo did a really good job of handling everything the Superdome threw at the 49ers. And and it started with that first drive. And just the fact that he was so locked in early, I think it was was really important. And that's a credit yep. to Shanahan because, you know, of his decision to take the team to Florida rather than flying back. Uh, just the way he's been coaching the team, how deep he went into his playbook, like you said. Um, I just don't think you can say enough about the Forty ers offense, and obviously yep. that reflects on Shannon, who might, you know, we might be talking about Kyle Shannon next year as like one of the best coaches in the league, if we're not already.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's there, and and there's always going to be that that twenty eight to three lead that the Falcons blew when he was the offensive coordinator that's gonna stick out to people who don't want to think critically at all and that that's fine like that's (laughs) no that's how a lot of sports fans are like they they don't Mm -hmm. they don't uh, consume themselves in it because they have lives outside of it and that's just what sticks out Shanahan was the offensive coordinator it's his fault because they were too aggressive on offense and that's why the Falcons lost Super Bowl it's not and you can't hold that over Shanahan when assessing his ability as a head coach and what he's been able to do the the 2017 and 2018 seasons even stick out if you're going to talk about shanahan as a head coach because those are lost seasons it is so hard to get nfl players to continue playing hard in lost seasons in games that don't matter especially in december and they've not quit in in they did not quit in either of those seasons and the fact that he continued having guys play for him uh is really a testament to to the type of coach he is and now we're seeing uh the fruits of all that labor now that they have you know a roster that that can compete and win games in the NFL all
2: right final loser of uh of this episode it's going to be Fred Warner uh who has been so good recently and obviously won NFC defensive player of the month for November uh, just three tackles. He had the missed tackle on Traquan Smith's go ahead touchdown with 50, 53 seconds left. He did have one pass breakup and he did have the good play on the two point conversion. But behind the defensive line, I don't think the, the 49ers really got a whole lot of production from from anybody. Um, and I think Warner was certainly a part of that. And, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about Warner in isolation because, like I said, I think there were there were issues throughout the 49ers' defense, but yep. it wasn't a great game from him. And any time, like, you know, Richard Sherman tied for the team. The, the 49ers' two leading tacklers were Richard Sherman and Jimmy Ward. Not great. And Dre, and Dre Greenlaw, that's not what you want because that means you're giving up too many big plays. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> not a great performance from Warner He had uh, coming off his strong month.
1: He had a missed tackle. He had three tackles. That was the second lowest total of the season. His missed tackle though at the end of the game that led to the Saints touchdown wound up being a huge missed tackle for the Forty ers benefit.
2: Because if gave him gave him more time to go down and score. Yeah,
1: because if he gets a if he drags him down there, the Saints score with way less time. And the Forty ers don't have an opportunity. So actually I'm switching this. Fred Warner is a winner for having the wherewithal <laughs> to miss that tackle. Let the Saints score and give his offense a chance. Wow, Fred Warner, what a game. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, you mentioned the 49ers receivers as winners. Uh, definitely agree. Debo Samuel, 76 yards. Uh, he had over 100, 76 yards receiving, 33 yards rushing, over 100 yards of total offense. Emmanuel Sanders, uh, we have hardly talked about him, but he's been a huge element. To add yeah. to this 49ers offense, I, I think, off the top of my head, and I haven't done the done the dive on this, but I would have to think he's been one of the best midseason acquisi- acquisitions in recent memory. Yeah, um, probably the last couple of years, just given the fact that he's already a super productive m- number one receiver on, you know, the best team in the NFC or at least the top seeded team in the NFC. Um, yeah, Niners receivers. I think I, it, it's good because. Not to interrupt you, but there was so much talk earlier in the year about Kyle Shanahan wanting guys to establish themselves. You get two touchdowns from Kendrick Bourne, you have Emmanuel Sanders with a ridiculous game, and you have Debo Samuel, who is good for a few really splashy plays a week. Like, the Niners suddenly look like they have weapons, and now I think it's it's pretty important for them to bring Emmanuel Sanders
1: back next year. Um. Debo's last five games, twenty five catches, four hundred and thirteen yards and two touchdowns. To put that in perspective, the the forty nineers leading wide receiver last year was Kendrick Bourne at four hundred and eighty seven yards, and he did that in sixteen games. Debo has four hundred and thirteen in his last five. And uh,
2: I think he leads
1: rookies in receiving. I believe Can that look- I, I believe that's correct, although AJ Brown had a huge game for the Titans yesterday, so I'm not sure if that's still the case. But
2: Provide some takes. I'm gonna look this
1: up. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some takes on you. Kendrick Bourne had I and I said this on Twitter, Kendrick Bourne had the loudest three catch, eighteen yard day ever. Uh even rewatching the game, I, I came away from it thinking, oh, Bourne had five or six catches for fifty or sixty yards. No, three catches, eighteen yards. He had two touchdowns, two big boy touchdowns, too. One of them where he boxed out Marshawn Lattimore, who is a terrific cover corner, and then another one where he had to make a contested catch and a ball behind him. And then he had that third down play that I mentioned earlier that extended a drive and and helped lead to to his second touchdown catch. So all three of those receivers were excellent yesterday. But the way the receivers, to me, matter the most, or the way they, they impact the game the most, is like yesterday, fourth and two. Everybody knows it's going to Kittle, but... Sanders, Samuel, and Bourne are good enough playmakers that they have to be accounted for. And so Kittle gets left one-on-one with a safety, and that's a matchup he's going to win 99 times out of 100.
2: Right. So Debo Samuel's rookie numbers, 640 yards, it's fourth among rookies behind DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Terry, Mc- and Terry McLaurin. Um, his 47 catches are second behind Metcalf, who was 50 uh, yards per catch. He's, or let's see, catch rate. Um, he was at 70% and AJ Brown was at 63%. So that might be a product of the fact that, you know, Samuel does catch a lot of short passes and there has, have been, has been some flux at quarterback in Tennessee throughout the year, but, um, yeah, Debo is, uh, is, is trending towards becoming a really, really good player. So, um, yeah, the 49ers look, look good on that one, particularly given that Dante Pettis and Marquise Goodwin uh, were inactive. And yep. so the fact that the 49ers have hit on Samuel to uh, to maybe offset the the idea now that D, that Dante Pettis might not end up being a productive player for them, is uh, that's good news, at least. Um, the Demontre Moore MVP award, where are you going with this one?
1: I'm going with Garoppolo. Okay. I, I think that's probably the easy choice there there are multiple people you could pick out, but I'm gonna go with Garoppolo just because this was the one game that we hadn't seen him have yet. We'd seen him you know kind of go off against the Cardinals, but the Cardinals defense is abominable. The Saints have a bona fide Super Bowl caliber defense. They're really really good and Garoppolo shredded them. So Jimmy Garoppolo uh, gets gets the MVP award for me today. Not so much for for that last play, all he did was was throw a throw a ball to Kittle on the out, but everything he did before that uh, was was MVP worthy for me. So the Demontre Moore MVP award goes to Jimmy Garoppolo.
2: I'm gonna give my Demontre Moore MVP award to George Kittle because of uh, yeah. what the play was, what it represents. Um, I think after the year's over, we're going to look back at that one and, and that's going to be the one like, oh, remember that Saints game? Yeah. That incredible Saints game. It happened because of that George Kittle play. And if the 49ers, if, and when they get home games in the playoffs, um, that's, that'll be a reason why, or maybe the reason why. So, uh, I think that's it. That was a long podcast. A lot to talk about. Uh, I do want to apologize for not doing the preview of the Saints game last week in Florida. There were some scheduling things that came up, uh, lots of traveling. I'm currently exhausted uh, because I just just flew back and uh, after a weekend in New Orleans. Um, the weekend in New Orleans, aside from the game, was as fun as would be expected, and uh, the details are going to remain in New Orleans. But hey, um, what
1: happens in New Orleans stays in New Orleans. Yep,
2: of course, that's what everybody always says um tons and tons of people tons of 49ers fans in new orleans it was like it was kind of wild um anyway i didn't spend a ton of time on Bourbon street i was staying in the quarter and there were just niners
1: niner fans everywhere it was noticeably loud when the 49ers did good stuff (laughs) that's true
2: um all right we will be back with a preview podcast on thursday for the atlanta falcons game over the weekend uh until then please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast we're on apple podcasts spotify stitcher are
1: we anywhere else i don't think so all right wherever you get your podcasts
2: yeah keep reading ninerswire.com and the sacramento b SACB.com slash 49ers follow us on twitter and uh i'm at chris Peterman. you are are
1: you kyle amadson kyle amadson kyle amadson
2: All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later in the week.